Genesis 27, we're in a series called The Power of the Blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Don't miss next week. It is the best of all of them and my favorite, and it's electrifying. Also in the bookstore, there is a small book you can purchase, very, very inexpensive, How to Impart the Blessing to Your Family, to Your Children. So this is part two, and we're looking at the positive and negative effects of blessing or lack of blessing. Powerful negative impacts on our life, if we're not, and powerful good impacts on our life if we are blessed. In Genesis 27, when Esau discovered he had lost the blessing of his father, he cried out, bless me too, my father. It's quite clear he was more impacted by the fact he had lost his father's blessing than he had lost his inheritance. In the Old Testament, there was a moment of time that was reserved for the blessing. It was looked forward to with great expectancy and anticipation. In the New Testament, it is to be continuous and primarily through a family. And I see in Esau something I've seen in lots of people over my many years, men and women who have never had the blessing of their father, but who are looking for it in all kinds of avenues and always coming up short. The blessing liberates you from the past, it allows you to enjoy the present, and it makes you expectant, hopeful, optimistic for the future. So let's do a brief review of last week. We said, number one, the blessing gives you a clear sense of identity. People who are blessed and affirmed, shoot, they know who they are. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes people 20 years after they're saved to receive all that God says they are. And uh, it, it, it's renewing the mind, basically. Paul put it this way, I am what I am by the grace of God, not because I earned it, deserved it, worked for it, or earned it, but God's made that possible for me. He had clear identity. When Gideon was approached by God, he's hiding, he's a coward. And when God called him to a task and a mission to deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites, he says, look, you don't get it. I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe is the smallest and least in the whole 12 tribes of Israel. Bad self-image. Some of you have that too. And you got it in the natural life. Maybe you had a bad family, a split home. Maybe you were never affirmed. But when you're born again and you come into the family of God, you inherit all the blessings of Christ Jesus. And I have to renew my mind that I am who God says I am. And I can do what God says I can do. And I have what God says I have. And that's contrary to the worldview. But if you don't do that, you'll just sink like a rock. But if God says I am something, then by golly, I am. Um, was it Popeye that said, I am what I am? I am, by the grace of God, what God said. So stop calling yourself something God doesn't call you. Maybe you were, maybe you did, but that's not who you are today. Secondly, we said there's emotional stability. People who grow up in environments where they're affirmed have strong uh, emotional stability. They don't come apart quickly. They're not easily shaken. Three, we said they have relational capacity. They are at ease with people not like them. Jesus had no problem hanging around people not like him. 
He hung around publicans, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, and a host of outcasts by the church. Denominations do not foster this relational capacity. They want you to dress like them, think like them, act like them. They want you to be absorbed in their, whether we're a black church, a white church, a Hispanic church, uh, a Ghanese church or whatever. And I'm thinking all that does is just push people out who aren't exactly like you. And the Bible includes everybody in the gospel, and the New Testament is inclusive, not exclusive. This is not a Republican church or a Democrat church. It's a Jesus church. I don't care what party you're part of. My point is, this is the kingdom of God. We gather around Jesus. I don't, I'm not gathering around your presidential candidate or whatever. God help us with the choices. Yeah, my, okay, I should hush, all right? But isn't it true? Don't denominations foster conformity? Yeah, you can walk in a restaurant on Sunday and you can tell what group they're from. You know, if they're Pentecostal, then, or, or, or Pentecostal holiness, that, unfortunately the women get beat up, so they have to look ugly, uh, can't wear any jewelry. And if, if, if it's a charismatic church, then usually the woman's going to have her hair all puffed up and, uh, and have on a, a lot of bling bling or whatever, and, and kind of bright. And if it's Southern Baptist, they'll be in a navy blue suit and brown shoes. You can just spot them. <laughs> kind of like what gang you belong to. Let me tell you something. Don't let anybody put their brand on you. Don't you do that. I'm not putting any brand on you. I don't care if you can blue jeans or shorts. I told you before, just don't be naked. But I'm telling you, and the people that go naked shouldn't go naked. There are people that look good naked, but they never the ones that are naked. All right, don't do it. Number, that was not in my notes. Number four. People who are affirmed and blessed have a sense of purpose. Why? They've been told who they are and what they're for. And a, I guess a sense of purpose gives me energy and drive. Now, I might not know yet what it is, but I know it exists. Mordecai said to Esther, they're captives in a pagan land. Who knows, Esther, but you've come to the kingdom for such a moment as this. There is purpose for your beauty. God made that woman drop dead beautiful, and it was, uh, it was God's timing so that she would captivate a pagan king, and he would, because of his love for her, not knowing she's Jewish, would reverse a law to kill all the Hebrew people. God knew what he was up to when he made her beautiful. If God helped you to become rich, there was a purpose in it, and it's not just more cars and boats and cabin getaways. That, that might be a benefit, but that's not the purpose of it. So whatever, whether it's power or title or promotion or access, there's a purpose for that when God made you. And you're going to live less than your life if you don't understand it. So I know there's a purpose for my life, and I know there's a purpose for every life in this room. I, I may not know exactly at some early moment what it is. I just know it's out there, and that's going to push me with energy to keep driving forward. We said fifth, affirmed and blessed people have a capacity for success. A lot of people self-destruct when success comes because they don't know how to cope with it. Many of them don't think they deserve it. But God is never honored by our failure. Jesus said in John 15, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's not survival. That's thriving. 
God wants you to thrive, not just get by, not just bump along, hang in there, okay. How you doing, Fred? Okay. That's like kissing your sister. I love my sister, but kissing her is not exactly the high point of my day, okay? And I'm saying getting by surviving is not God's best. When I came from Savannah, Georgia to start this church in a hotel room, at least I knew one thing. I had a job waiting back where I came from if, it, if I missed God, if it didn't go. If you add value to people, whatever business you're in, whatever you're in, you'll never be unemployed a day in your life. You, there are a lot of people who get a paycheck, paycheck, but they don't add value. And when their times are tough, they get cut. But when you add value, you're always going to have a job somewhere with someone. And so the whole key is here, be sure you're a producer, not a consumer. Be sure when you show up, things get better, things improve, things grow. So they always said to me, hey, if it doesn't work out, if you miss God, we, don't, we think it's right, but if it doesn't, come back. We sent two worship leaders to Nashville. I hate Nashville because uh, every one of them, I preached them right out of the church with a dream. Our first worship leader, Steve Krenz, uh, wanted to be a studio musician and write and arrange music. And so he finally came to me and said, you've been preaching, go for your dream, I'm going for it. Oh, burn those CDs, burn them up. But I I said this, Steve, if it doesn't work out, you come right back, you got a job, right? And then we had Mark Hosney. Mark Hosney looked like Paul Schaefer on David Letterman, remember him? And Mark had a dream. Where'd he go? Nashville. That's why I hate Nashville. (laughs) He's still our wonderful friend. But I said, hey, Mark, if it doesn't work out, you add value. Come right on home. You got a spot waiting on you anytime you want it. Now, that's how you want to be. You add value, people will always want you. You won't have to send out 400 resumes. Somebody's always trying to steal you or hire you away. Anybody listening? Say, okay. All right. Well, when you add value, you're confident. You said, I can make it here. I can make it anywhere. I don't care what it is. You put me in there and I'm going to rise to the top. I'm going to make a difference. God did not make you non-relational, dysfunctional, addicted, broke, and a bad haircut. You did that. If it ain't working, do something else. Dig another well. There are problems that emerge when you grow up in an environment where there is no affirmation and no blessing. And tragically, you'll go looking to others or other things for that approval and acceptance. And if you do, you're going to face some problems. Problem one, you're going to end up with a performance spirit. You're going to try to do things, achieve things in order for people to accept you. And we said the basic need of every human is security and significance. Jesus broke all the rules of the Pharisees and their expectations. He didn't do it like they did. He didn't do what they expected him to do. He never broke God's word, but he broke their traditions and customs all the time. Drove them crazy. See, he didn't care whether he performed the way they wanted him to or not. He spoke to women. He touched lepers. That was anathema, but he did it. He didn't care what they thought. He was confident in who he was. And when you're affirmed and blessed, so will you be. You don't have to wear a coat and a tie. You don't have to wear a lot of makeup and jewelry in here. You can just be who you are. If you want to, do it. But if you don't, just be you. Relax and enjoy life, right? We're all a little bit different, strange, all of us. (laughs) So a performance-centered lifestyle is just trying to get what you never got, hoping you're going to get it in the present. My suggestion is... 
hey, God made you unique from anybody else. If two of us are identical, one of us isn't necessary. God loves diversity, not division, diversity. So I like, I like you because you're different. I like you because you're different. We're different. I don't want to marry me. I want something different. And that's why we opposites attract, right? Except in, except in churches. They all want you to separate and be exactly like us, or they give you the feeling you aren't welcome, because you probably aren't. And second, you develop this idea of perfectionism. You never learn to color outside the lines. You live a joyless life because things are never perfect, and you drive people crazy trying to make everything perfect. Our goal is not perfection, it's improvement and excellence. I can at least get better, and I can always strive to be excellent with what I have, where I am, and what I do. And if I'm growing and learning, that bar ought to be going up. Excellence, excellence today may be mediocrity tomorrow. So uh, today it's the best I can do, but I hope tomorrow I can even do better. So improvement, I can be a better husband, a better man, a better, a better Christian, a better businessman, a better student. I can just be better at about anything, but I can't be perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. Third, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, brother. Third, insecurity. You don't know how to relate if somebody's not giving you an immediate sense of approval. Somebody didn't speak to you. That is bondage. You're an orphan. If somebody has to constantly kiss up to you and affirm you, and, and, and as we get bigger, it's like so-and-so didn't speak to me. Well, da-dee-da, so what? Are you, well, I guess they don't like me. See, here you go. You got that orphan spirit. You're not blessed. You're not affirmed. You're not secure in who you are. I walk by people sometimes headed for something else. I'm not, I'm not trying to interact with every single person, but I don't dislike anybody. And if you grab me, I'd turn and say, hey, and then I might say, hey, I've got to go meet somebody. My wife just said, I've got to go over here to pray with a couple and I'm leaving. I'm not ignoring you because you're nobody. For crying out loud, say, good, when you get through, I want, I want to tell you something good. Okay. See how easy it is? Oh, you can't tell. He walked by me and didn't say anything to me. And I probably never even saw you. Never even saw you. I walk by my wife and don't even say anything sometimes. How about that? <laughs> she talks all the time at home. I don't need to talk to her. I'm just, she's always telling me what to do. Number four, what did I do? I did bad, didn't I? I'd probably be taking a taxi cab home. Okay. Number four, inconsistency. That's the inability to stay put at anything. You can't keep a job. You can't keep a marriage. You can't keep a vow. You can't keep a friendship. You can't stay in church. Church is a place to belong anyway. It's not a place to attend. I mean, you might be visiting for a little bit, finding a church home, but at some point you join, you connect, and you get planted. It's a commitment. Same for marriage. But these people can't stay in anything. They're like tumbleweeds. Number five, relational dysfunction, in and out of relationships. Number six, the non-affirmation, the non-blessed life usually ends up a promiscuous lifestyle, thinking that if I give you this, you'll give me that, and it never seems to work. The person that walks in these problem areas will often become bitter and resentful of people who enjoy favor and success. And sadly, Christians get jealous and envious and bitter too. But every promise of God is available to you by choice. 
you can have it as well. If you want, if you want to do what God says, you get what God says, and it's available to anybody. He's no respecter of people. But when people are promoted or blessed or suddenly enriched, we should rejoice, not feel jealous or bitter or resentful of people who enjoy that measure. My goodness, don't you want a better life? The Bible says rejoice with them who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. I mean, we ought to be quite flexible. I'm secure. You know, I want to do better. But I'm not, I'm not insecure because somebody else is doing better. I'm glad for them. I get calls all the time. Somebody got a promotion. Somebody's business just got a big contract. Man, that's great. That's good for the kingdom. Now, in Genesis 27, Jacob has deceived his father into believing he's Esau. So now the moment of blessing has come. This is Genesis 27, verse 26 through 29. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he can't see now, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, that the Lord is blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed." See, true blessing involves several ingredients. Number one, intimate association. There was physical contact. There was personal recollections that were pleasant. There were pronouncements of favor. There was verbal intimacy. And by the way, spiritual fathers or life sources or moms can bless your child if you don't have a father. That's why the spiritual family has fathers. Our elders are fathers. Our home group leaders and ministry leaders are life sources, men and women. They can bless you, and they can bless each other. You, you don't have to have had a natural father. I don't remember that ever happening in our home when I grew up at all. But I've certainly been blessed richly becoming a member of the family of God. And my heavenly Father loads me up with blessing through Christ Jesus. Secondly, that blessing includes a measure of prophecy. Verse 29, may nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And the blessing is most effective when it's done by people that have some connection with God. They aren't speaking out of their own heart or flesh, but they see something in your future. They don't know the specifics. They don't know how long it'll take. But when it's said with sincerity and a sense of God on it, it creates great expectancy and hope for the future. Oh, you are awesome. You, you start talking to your kids that way or your grandchildren that way, especially when you start seeing one of the little girls that was up here wanted to go play the drums. And I thought, encourage that. Yeah, yeah. Not while I'm preaching, but encourage that. <laughs> that, may be a, that may be a trigger to some part of their future and destiny. You just don't know. But encourage it. I've, we've had guys in here, uh, uh, one of our guys that was in California loves coffee. And I said to him one day, I've watched you soar to the top in so many businesses, I says, one day you're going to be a very wealthy Christian businessman. One day. It may take 25 years. You will be that. I've never just walked up and said that, but I just saw all the evidences of that in this person. 
And I've spoken to other people that I saw great entrepreneurship in. Uh, Mark Earhart, one of, my, one of my dear friends in Beth Ann in here, worked for a major company in retail and set records. And one day I said to him, because the company was bureaucratic and uh, very cold and aloof and not noticing who's really producing the revenue, I said, you know what, you could do this all by yourself. You could sell fur coats, you know, in Hawaii. You, you, you're just so good at it. You ought to be working for yourself. Took five years to convince him to work for himself. Now he's got three businesses and maybe a fourth on the way doing that right now. But you just see things in people. Say it. Say it. Man, I, I think you're going to, th- I see this in you. That's a, that's a little bit of a prophetic blessing right there. You don't have to get into the funky, yay, yay, my son, for the Lord would say to you. You, you saw that as a style. You don't have to do it that way. You can just speak it or declare it. I've I've spoken prophetically at the time years ago in a very mean, uh, uh, non-charismatic church. Prophetic, you can be prophetic and not believe in in prophets. (laughs) If God made you that way, you you are. Well, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter. You're still speaking prophetically. I've counseled people and had a word of knowledge and didn't even believe in a word of knowledge. I just thought I was smart. That was just a word of knowledge. See, it was, so it, God's not intimidated by your limited unbelief. If He's made you to be something, you just are. So, and by the way, a title isn't going to make you that if you're not. Yeah, you just get a private parking place with a little sign, but it ain't working in you. You know what I'm saying? So, New Testament prophecy is always to be encouraging, reassuring, and comforting because God realizes how much is missing in the average life. That blessing thirdly reflects certainty. In spite of the fact Jacob had received that blessing deceptively, the father refused to revoke it. Just as cursing has power, so does blessing. If you're new here, cursing, as mentioned in the Bible, is not cussing. Cursing is to declare evil intention upon someone. That's cursing, not cussing. Peter cussed after three and a half years with Jesus. Thank you very much. I'm making you think. He, he cursed violently when that little teenage girl said, you're one of his disciples. And he just went into a tissy fit. So there's hope for some of you, see? You might want to take Peter off your dashboard. I'm just saying he's, he's a bit flawed. So. Blessing has power, too. Don't speak things over your children unless you mean it. Don't say things because as a parental authority, it has power to bind a child into a self-fulfilling prophecy. You speak over them what may not even be happening yet because it releases the power to become. When Jesus talked to these disciples, He said, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. Thomas is sucking his thumb. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe unless I touch his side and see the nail prints. And, you know, Peter's left the ministry. These guys are a wreck. And Jesus is telling them who they are and who they're going to be. And guess what? When it all the dust settles, that's who they become. They become exactly what Jesus spoke to them. But it wasn't working when he said it. And it may not be working right now over your life or your children or your spouse, but you say what God says about them anyway. You may, and don't say over your own life what you don't want to happen. 
You may be having financial problems for the moment, but you start saying what God says. I'll plant you by rivers of living water. Your leaf shall not wither. Whatever you do shall prosper. The seed of the righteous shall inherit the earth. They shall be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches shall be in their house. They won't be in a food stamp line. They're going to be powerful. And sometimes our kids are just goofy as a $3 bill. But I'm proclaiming and shaping their life through the power of blessing. You have this awesome power. Number four, there's evidence of clarity. That's in Genesis 49. Jacob blessed all of his son, and to each one he had a specific word. And sometimes the word he spoke seemed like a hard word. But part of the process of blessing is someone telling me of potential pitfalls in my future because of some weakness they identify in my life. And that weakness could undermine the good thing God has in my future, and it could save me from a lot of pain. Here's what the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, not an enemy of a friend. God says you have no right to wound if you're not already a proven friend. Did you hear that? Boy, Christians think they have a legal right to criticize everything. God says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means don't read an unsigned letter or note because it has power to go into your mind and decloud your thinking. You can't get it out. You can't hold anybody accountable. Don't read an unsigned letter and don't send one. I have never, ever read an unsigned note or letter. It's never gone into my head, through my eyes, ever. And when I'm on the road, in all kindness, sometimes people will slip you a note or a gift or something wonderful they want to say, and they'll give you this note. I have never once opened one. I just take it out, hand it to the pastor, and I said, I just got this. Check it out. He knows what I mean. Check it out. Be sure it's not a wacko or it's something worth I should look at. That's all. That makes sense? Well, that's a good word. If you got nothing else, don't read an unsigned letter. Don't, don't send an unsigned letter, you chicken. Because if you're going to say something, you better be able to prove it and back it up. And if you're not, then you don't want to be accountable. You just want to hurt somebody, right? Okay. Now, there's some problems that emerge from lack of parental intimacy, a family together, intimate together. It produces relational difficulty, number two. It creates problems with affection, showing affection, and touch. Hug and kiss your children, and hug and kiss your grandchildren. Well, he's a boy. Kiss him. That's a, a masculine bear hug. Kiss him on the cheek. Ah, daddy loves my boy. And then when he's 44, I love my boy. You kiss him. If you go to the Middle East, their culture is still the same. They kiss on the cheek. Diplomats are greeted. Heads of state, that's still. We shake a hand out about eight feet and then use hand sanitizer. They embrace. They hug. It's affection. It's touch. It's feel. Hug your little daughters. Hug them. Kiss them. Tell them how beautiful they are. You're pre prepping them for marriage and, and a man. You're, otherwise, you're going to produce someone cold, frigid, aloof. Or perhaps the boy will be frigid and aloof with his wife. But be an affectionate family. Now, I was not raised in an affectionate family. I didn't get held or hold or kissed or told anything except what not to do. 
I never had that. And I don't even remember I, my, the biggest respect I have is my grandparents who had a big impact on me becoming a Christian, but I don't even remember affirmation with them. And we said last week, don't be mad at them. They may never have had it, never been taught that, didn't even know that. But it doesn't stop me from receiving blessing and affirmation now that I'm a Christian. I can get anything I lost through an earthly father or absentee father blessing or hugging. And I can say, because I now know how much that means and affects kids, I just hug the tar out of them. And then brothers hug each other. Sisters hug each other. Don't French kiss them. <laughs> just hug the woman from the side. Yeah, unless she's 90 years old. You know, whatever. I'm just saying, I mean, you, I know what I'm saying. But a, but a hug and an embrace and a touch is Christian. Greet one another with a holy kiss. If you're sitting unmarried beside some beautiful young lady, you'd probably like to do that right now, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think not. Don't do that. All right. But you see, I, uh, for example, Buckner Fanny, he, he stood on this. It was a concrete slab. The girders were up. It was a naked building to the outside. And he dedicated this building on this pulpit, on this stage, uh, eight years ago or something. He's in heaven with Jesus now, served Trinity Baptist Church for over 40 years as the pastor there. And that great old whitehead senior man, every time I saw him in a restaurant or a store, I'd hug him and kiss him on the cheek. It, it's a sign of honor, esteem and respect. I did that with Oral Roberts as well. My point was I was showing respect, affection, and esteem to, to, to the senior. This is a good thing. It, you don't have to wait till you're on a combat mission with a band of brothers to hug each other. They do it, but learn to do it in your home and family. That touch and feel. Don't be embarrassed about it. That, and don't, then your children won't be embarrassed about it. They'll expect to do the same thing. Pass it on. Tell her, oh, you're so pretty. If it's a girl, she's beautiful. You're so pretty. You're so smart. Mia can take my iPad, my phone, correct anything, fix any glitch, and she can tell me all the latest scores and statistics. And I thought, shoot, I'm 72. She's seven. She can whip me up and down. I said, you are so smart. You're going to run the world. You may be the next woman president. I don't know. But you are amazing and beautiful, too. And then little Ethan, he always wants to play the guitar and dance and sing down here and all. I don't have a lot of communication with him just quite yet. It just turning four, but it's getting better. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But he gets the kisses and hugs, that's for sure. Then number three, difficulties in affirming others' success. If you weren't affirmed, you're going to find it difficult to affirm others because you're afraid it might uh, limit your success. Uh, you're, you feel insecure. Here's what God says, give honor to whom honor is due. See, you're an orphan if you can't do that. Compliment others when they perform well. Don't be insecure that you're threatened by somebody else's success. We were all a bunch of preachers this week in Virginia Beach together, young and old, been around a long time, and then others uh, younger, real hot shot, good guys. And every, I noticed everybody was shouting down whoever was up on stage. Everybody's trying to do well, of course, but nobody, uh, everybody was trying to say, that's brilliant. That's the best I've ever heard. Fantastic job. Why can't Christians do that? Celebrate other people's success. It does, it does not limit your success in any way. Compliment people. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So I've received it and I ought to be able to give it. Number four, you love at a distance. You love people by completing a task. Well, I keep the house clean for you. 
Well, yeah, but you might move a little closer to me. Uh, I'm talking to married folks. Uh, you buy gifts. I try to buy my children's love by giving them everything, but that's not as good. No, it's a lot cheaper. Just a hug and kiss them and tell them you love them. <laughs> you save a lot of money. <laughs> right? But you know, these are, these are love languages, but it's hiding what's inside of you. And then number five, you have a limited capacity for self-disclosure. The level of intimacy to be enjoyed in any relationship is determined by the level of self-disclosure. What are you really thinking? What do you really feel? Tell me. And especially in marriage, that ability to self-disclose. In the Garden of Eden, it says they were both naked and unashamed. There, were tran- there was nothing hidden. It was total transparency. So especially in a marriage, no transparency. I can tell Cindy anything I'm thinking or I'm feeling. Uh, it, it might not even be right, but I can say it. And if I'm with close, close friends, I can say, I might not be going to do it, but here's what I'm, I feel like doing. That's authentic transparency. You can't do that with everybody, for goodness sakes. Then they judge you. Hey, I'm just telling you how I was feeling. I'm not going to do it. Have you ever felt like doing something, but you weren't going to do it? Thank you. Well, I won't judge you if you won't judge me. Number six, and here's a real big one. Maybe we'll close on this one. Difficulty in relating to God as Father. So many people believe in God, but they're terrified of Him. They have a wrong image of who He is. And you know who's done that? The church, primarily. We've made God some judgmental tyrant. When Scripture declares He will never leave me, never forsake me, that He loves me unconditionally, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, many people at that moment switch off because they could not relate to their earthly father, so they cannot relate to God as Father. But while I was at my worst, Christ died for me. Jesus is not like a mother you go to as a soft touch to get to the Father. Now, some of you from a Catholic background who are just the most awesome people in the world perhaps have this mindset that if I'll talk to Mary, she'll put in a good word to Jesus, her son, and he will in turn put in a good word to the Father for me. That's not how the kingdom works. That's not how the Father works. You need to relax. Here's what Jesus said, I am the express image of the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. So if you want to know what the Father is like, look at the Son. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If you want to know what Father God is like, look at Jesus. And He's never in a bad mood, and He never approaches you with a clipboard and a checklist to see if your performance today is up to His acceptance of you. That is great news. You are His beloved. He loves you. And Jesus made that possible. So you don't have, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not one apostle is there, not the Virgin Mary, nothing. Nobody's there, just Jesus. And He and the Father are one. So if you had a bad father, I can promise you the Heavenly Father isn't that way. No good thing will He withhold from him who walks uprightly. He daily loads up. My grandchildren are never afraid to approach me because they know what kind of a father I am. When my grandchildren come to my house, I say, welcome to the house of yes. You want chocolate on your cereal? Yes. You want an iPhone? Yes. 
You want Poppy's iPad? Yes. You want to go to Orange Leaf? Yes. I don't care how inconvenient it is. The answer will be yes. So they have boldness to talk to me. They are not intimidated. Well, I'm afraid to ask him. He might not be in a good mood today. And you read Hebrews and he said, let us boldly come before the throne of God to obtain grace and mercy in time of need. Boldly saying, daddy, daddy, you don't have to crawl. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus made that possible. I'm sick of this crawl on your belly like a worm religious crud, like I'm meriting God's favor by my humility. I can't merit anything. I stink. Jesus is great. I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in me. All Father can see is Jesus. Roll out the barrels. We'll have a barrel of fun. Let the good times roll. Yeah, but I know that. So I don't walk around with some guilt-laden, beat-up, drone unworthiness. I'm accepted in the Beloved, and He will never reject me. I'm engraved in the palm of His hand. I am the apple of His eye. I'm just quoting Scripture. That's your pupil. Try to touch your pupil. God says, that's how precious you are to me. You are the pupil of my eye. Whoever touches you touches me. Right? That's really not, I'm kept by the power. I'm not keeping myself. I'm kept by the power of God. And I tell you, because that which He began in me, He will perform it to the day of Jesus. You, you can hit me, attack me, hurt me, delay me. You can't stop me. I don't care what you do. You can't. If God's in it, you can't stop it. And so I don't ever sit around worrying, is it going to work out? It's always going to work out. Sure it is. We're going to get through it. Um, superficial friendships, loneliness. You don't know how to reach out of the barrier you've corrected. You don't know how to let people into your life, so you live with loneliness. A new study points out the physiological toll of isolation. Loneliness is bad a risk factor and a contributor of heart disease as smoking, high-fat diet, high blood pressure. Population experts have long known lonely people tend to get sicker and die quicker, but they didn't know why. That's a good news for you to go out and get in a connect group, yeah, if you want to live a little longer. The number of Americans who live alone now is 33.2 million. I just Google that. Researchers say there's a simple remedy. Be the first to say hello, shake hands, introduce yourself, offer to help. How about that? You don't even need a prescription. Everybody can do that. Isolation is not biblical. Psalm 68, God sets the solitary in families. Third, barrenness in marriage relationships, not physical but emotional. He's distant. He's unfeeling. He's cold. And barrenness spiritually. I want to know God approves me. God loves me. When I got saved, the church I came out of made me earn it every single week. So I never felt worthy or good enough. But a better renewing of my mind of Scripture made me realize He loves me unconditionally, and nothing can change that. So how do I get out of this terrible predicament? Forgiveness. Forgive people, authority figures, parents that may have not have done what they should have done for you. Uh, Maybe forgive yourself. Choose to be vulnerable with other people. Let them know when you have a weakness or a need. You know, I always feel insecure about that. I never feel like it's good enough. People love to hear you say that because they think you're awesome. And that vulnerability and transparency draws people to you. How about receive some ministry? Get a couple of friends in a group to pray with you over at a home group or a connect group. Just say, hey, I'm wrestling with that. 
Can I get a little bit of prayer here, get that orphan spirit off me, and develop some significant parenting associations? Not people who are going to be father and mother to you, but people because of their place in life and the way they view you are mentors to your life. If they speak blessing over your life, it has more meaning than getting it from anybody else. All of us want to know there's blessing in our future. Oh, man, wait till next week. Yes, there is. And here, if you had a bad father, an abusive father, a stepfather, maybe you were abandoned, I don't know what, maybe never approved, never good enough. I remember a Catholic priest came crying to me in a church service that he attended, and I was doing a little bit of ministry on healing the inner child. And we were talking about this factor, and he says, and I think he was 65, he said, I still hear the voice of my father taking the saw out of my hand as a boy telling me, you can't do anything right. And at 62 or 3, whatever he was, with tears rolling down his face, he said, I still hear that voice, you can't do anything. I mean, you know, that was a dirty, filthy lie. And it put this guy in bondage in prison, but thank God Jesus set him free, and he doesn't have to believe that, and it, he rejected it, and we broke it. I'll be a father to the fatherless, God said. When you become a believer, you have a good father who affirms you and loves you unconditionally. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.